Hey everybody, I'm Andy Ostroy. Welcome to the back room. The kind of slash and burn politics that we're seeing right now, that doesn't have to be who we are. We can be better. And, and, and it has nothing to do, by the way, with political correctness or being too woke. It's about fundamental values that my grandparents from Kansas taught me. Values I grew up with. Values you grew up with. Values we try to teach our kids. Values we learn in churches and mosques and synagogues and temples. Honesty, fairness, opportunity, hard work. Values that Josh Shapiro and John Spetterman stand for. Values that Joe Biden stands for. Values that were enshrined in our founding documents a few miles from here. A clarion call for freedom and equality that Philly's own Liberty Bell represents. That's what America stands for. That's who we are. That was former President Barack Obama at a rally last week, getting out the vote. It was incredibly inspiring, transcendent. I mean, I still, when I listen to Obama, I still get shivers up and down my entire body because uh, nobody, nobody delivers a message like Obama. And people listened. They went out and voted. They helped make this midterm election Uh, perhaps one of the most, if not the most successful for a president in his first midterms. And uh, I think really helped change the course of history. There were also incredible moments that occurred that night, moments like this. I have a privilege right now, a privilege, as someone who was the Democratic nominee. I have the privilege to concede this race to J.D. Vance because... The way this country operates is that when you lose an election, you concede. And you respect. You respect the will of the people. Right? We can't have a system where if you win, it's a legitimate election. And if you lose, someone stole it. That was Tim Ryan, who lost his bid to be senator in Ohio to J.D. Vance. He's a class act. He ran an amazing campaign, but he also gave an amazing concession speech. That's how you do it in America. That's how you do it in a democracy. That's what's called a peaceful transition of power. It's also respecting the rule of law, respecting the institution of our free and fair elections which is the bedrock of a democracy, because if we don't do that, we don't have a democracy. I want to play, I want to play you something that Trump said this week, which, as far as I'm concerned, probably ranks as my favorite Trump quote ever. Like, if you just go into a room full of psychiatrists and say, I'm going to play you just one thing, can you, from that one thing, can you completely diagnose someone's psychosis? Uh, the answer would be yes, and that clip is this. You've endorsed more than 330 candidates this election cycle. Uh, tonight, win or lose, the results for Republicans, um, how much of that will be because of Donald Trump? Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit, and if they lose, I should not be blamed at all, okay? But it'll probably be just the opposite. There you have it, in a nutshell. If they win, I get all the credit. If they lose, I get no blame. Inside the mind of a maniac. It's a bad 
bad, bad night for Donald Trump. Very bad night for Donald Trump. It is a bad night for Trump. What I can tell you is the biggest loser tonight is Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the biggest loser of the night. <laughs> He's the biggest loser in American politics. Donald Trump's not going to like this. And without question, Donald Trump was a tremendous loser this week. But for me, Donald Trump's been a loser since 2020. And that's only seemed to have empowered him and made it worse. This country uh, has been more divided. There's been more toxicity. It's led to violent insurrection. So the key question is not whether he's a loser, but is he finally going to be gone at some point very soon? Is this reign of terror that he has showered down on this country, uh, on our political landscape, is it coming to an end? And here's something from presidential historian John Meacham. What happened last night, it seems to me, is you have, uh, as Churchill once said, it, uh, when it comes to Trump, it may not be the end. Uh, it may not even be the end of uh, the beginning of the end, but it was the end of the beginning. And lastly, the New York Post today on their front cover has a giant picture of Donald with the headline Trumpy Dumpty. And it goes on to say, Don, who couldn't build a wall, had a great fall. Can all the GOP's men put the party back together again? The New York Post, you should note, is owned by Rupert Murdoch. And when you lose Murdoch, I think it's over. And I think uh, that's sort of a punctuation on what, on what, on what John Meacham just said. Another thing that you can point to is that at the rally this past weekend, Donald Trump had only around 7,000 people. They were utterly bored to tears. They were leaving early. It was literally two hours of nothing but nonstop grievance. Nothing really about the candidates, the party, the future, what it offers voters. It's really just him for two hours whining like a little bitch about how poorly he's been treated. And I think that's another indication of things to come as well. Maddie, what do you think about everything? A couple of things. I'm sorry Jen isn't here to join us, but uh, her prediction that November was coming certainly came true mm -hmm. because we saw that uh, Dodd ruling really flipped the script on uh, the single issue voter. And uh, now we have the left having a single mm -hmm. issue and we see that in the Gen Z vote. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I mean, there's plenty to say, but lastly, we really sort of saved two democracies for the price of one because... We really can't emphasize enough how important this vote was for Ukraine, because now they actually will continue to get funding. Even with Kevin McCarthy, he's going to have such a slim majority. And we already know that, you know, many Republicans in the House did vote with mm -hmm. Democrats for funding. And I just want to, you know, shout out to Ukraine for being saved. Yeah, no, those are very important facts. And uh, uh, I think the, the, the key takeaway is, like you said, even if the House flips, the, the Republicans are not going to have the kind of influence and control that one one might think they would have, especially with such a slim margin. Um, they're probably going to focus their entire time on impeaching Biden and Merrick Garland and Marjorie Taylor Greene you know, going berserk. And so the chaos that's going to ensue in the next two years is probably going to ultimately be very good for Democrats um, in 24. Very happy to say Pat Ryan, our local guy, Pat Ryan, New York 18, is, is a winner. And it was another backroom bump, I would have to add. I mean, two appearances in the back room. I mean, I don't want to sound like Trump here, but I think we have to take all the credit, man. <laughs> Is there another explanation? <laughs> <laughs>
you know, uh, it's just is what it is. Um, no, Pat went, ran an amazing race and we are thrilled. He's an incredible candidate, an incredible guy, and we are thrilled that he's in Congress. We're still waiting for the official results, but my God, it looks like Lo- Lauren Boebert lost. I mean, how fucking awesome is that? That's beyond awesome. That's like better than Madison Cawthorn's loss. My God. Yeah, I mean, that that will be the greatest pleasure of this election. Yeah, I think 99% of the vote is in. I mean, I don't know what the rules are in Colorado, if they have to do a recount or something, if it's under, I mean, it's like 70 votes or something. It's so close that if there's any rule, I would think there'd be a recount of that. Um, Lastly, on Georgia, uh, obviously, we're going to have a runoff, but we probably won't need it to control the Senate. Hopefully. Uh, Yeah. That we don't know, but it's Arizona's looking, looking good. I know you're feeling pretty optimistic about Nevada with uh, Cortez Masto uh, still hanging on and looking like, depending upon where the votes come in, like from Clark County, uh, she could get the the lion's share of that. I think um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Laxalt. Yeah, yeah Laxalt uh, needs to get like almost all of the remaining votes in order to to Sounds win. Likely. So, um, so Not- that's interesting. News came out this morning about inflation. We're seeing a pretty appreciable deceleration in the numbers, which is great. Uh, I know you joked before that uh, now it comes out like two days after the election, but it could help in Georgia. Yeah. I mean, Georgia may just determine whether the Democrats control the Senate or Joe Manchin controls the Senate. Yeah. Well, I think if in December we have a a runoff and uh, perhaps by the time that runoff occurs, if we have two months in a row of this kind of deceleration and inflation. That's going to be huge, huge. Also, I would point out that Kemp will not be on the ballot. And, you know, a lot of Republicans split vote. They came in to vote for Kemp because they really liked him. Obviously, he won pretty handily. Uh, But he's not going to be on the ballot. But interestingly, guess who else is going to be on the ballot uh, in that runoff? Trump. It's going to be real interesting. Don't forget, Mr. Cliffhanger said November 15th, I'm giving a big, big, big announcement. Now, what is he going to do? And I want to get into this with our guest, Chris Matthews, shortly. But uh, that's going to be really interesting because if you have the kind of memory I have, Trump cost the Republican Party Georgia two years ago. So if he's out there next week, A, saying, I'm running for president, and B, it's all rigged. My God, I mean, we're going to have history repeat itself. So the last thing I want to mention is we have never really talked about the progress we're making here in the back room in terms of audience and stuff like that. We're doing really well in the United States, especially in the news and commentary section. I mean, we've we've I mean, there are thousands and thousands of podcasts and we're ranking pretty high, pretty high. Uh, And um, but we just this morning learned we are number one. In Latvia. (laughs) (laughs) You can't beat that. I mean, there are great people in this world putting out great podcasts like Kara Swisher and, you know, who's got on and and Pivot with Scott Galloway and so many others. And and we are number one in Latvia. Fuck if I know why. (laughs) But we've been ranking great in Singapore, Japan, Canada, Sweden, Belgium. New Zealand. New Zealand. (laughs) Remember when, like, Jerry Lewis, what was he, like, the greatest singer or something in France? France yeah. And David Hasselhoff was the most respected actor in the world, like, in Europe or something? I think Jen's right. We are the David Hasselhoff yeah. of Latvia. Yeah. So, I'll take it. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be, like, for some reason, hugely popular overseas, great. In addition to 
really making some amazing strides in the United States. Um, so we're going to end all that, and we're going to bring out the inimitable Chris Matthews. He's a journalist and political commentator, columnist, author, television host, professor. His 15 years in politics and government includes serving as a speechwriter for President Jimmy Carter. He served as an administrative assistant to House Speaker Tip O'Neill. He was columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, syndicated columnist and Washington bureau chief for the San Francisco Examiner. Most notably, perhaps, host of MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews. His, he's a prolific author. His books include 2011's Jack Kennedy, Elusive Hero, and his 2021 memoir, This Country, my life on politics and history. Chris, welcome into the back room. Thank you. So we here in the back room, before we get into the meaty stuff, we'd like to try to uh, get a window into people's souls. And uh, the way we do that is to ask a couple of questions, one at the beginning, one at the end. So I'm going to ask you something that you probably have never been asked before. Uh, are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. Dog. All the way. All the way. I keep thinking about getting a really big, big dog, uh, a big friend. Uh, to, to live on uh, Nantucket with. But since uh, I travel a lot and um, I don't know, I've, we've never figured out, I guess I could probably get a dog walker from the neighborhood, but I still want somebody to, to like the dog. So, and do you have, we used, a, to, we used to have a black lab and lock him in the house when we went to work. It's terrible. Yeah. It's just, so you don't have a dog now? No, we had a black lab for the lifespan, 13 years. Um, but um, next time I'm going to train him. It's a good <laughs> month of training. Training is important. Teaching everybody there's only four words, mainly the dog's name, and stop using other language with the dog. Just keep it simple. Well, did you ever see those videos where the, the, they teach dogs like 290 words, like the dog? Never seen that. It's I a just famous book that uh, was written about that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure <clears throat> they're they're advanced stage, but I just went, hey, hey, Lassie or Laddie. <laughs> we had a dog named Laddie growing up with my colleague. Hey, laddie, come on in. And always, he'd go wandering off in the fields miles from our house and always came back for dinner. Yeah. Well, it was great. Like like a lot of men, I suppose. You sound like you emphatically am not, are not a cat person on any level because you answered my question really quickly. Well, we had them. We, we used to pick them up. At, uh, they'd come by, you know, they, and we lived in a sort of suburban area of Philadelphia. And they would come by and we'd pick them up and adopt them for a while. And then they'd bite somebody. And my dad would say, I'm taking him to the hospital. <laughs> for, That's sort of like... For it, what? Um, <laughs> for a checkup sort of like or Yellowstone. euthanasia? <laughs> that was Yellowstone. You know Yellowstone in that movie? Uh -huh. They take you to the train station. Oh, There's Jesus. no train station. No, train, sta uh, train stations throughout him, history are not good things. He, sure. I think he took him somewhere near the hospital and booted him out of the car. That's what I think. <laughs> That's All great. right. Well, we'll, we'll leave it at that. It. So you have uh, your, your memoir, which is This Country, My Life and Politics and History. Uh, it's, I think it's out in paperback now. Yeah, it is. Better looking paperback because it has a picture of my mom on the cover. And um, that's kind of neat. Oh, that's cool. In fact, this, was from a, uh, this was from a trip to Washington when we were kids. Mm -hmm. You see that? Yeah. No, I wanted and to ask you about that because you, you talk about that. Right and, our, and my brothers. Mm-hmm. You talk about the bottom is me, me and President Obama. Mm -hmm. You talk in your book about that. Uh, I think it's that trip. You, you talk about Washington yeah. D.C., calling it dazzling, and you say, "quote It's a place in the sun that radiated history and honored the country's great leaders." If I hadn't been taken to Washington that spring of 1953 when I was seven, I don't think I would have followed the same road in life. It sounds like that was quite a trip, and you built a career eventually from that yeah. that kind of inspiration it's got to in reflecting back 
on where we are today, it, it's got to make you sad because if, you know, a seven-year-old kid goes to Washington today, the, the, can you really walk away inspired that same way? Or, or is it just the opposite with what's going on? Well, you know, um, a lot of young kids in school have their senior trip to Washington around May. And you see the buses lining up every year about that time. Mm-hmm. And it is the city that's most beautiful, May and June. And um, it's sunny. It's much warmer than Philadelphia or New York. Um, you really feel you're in a more tropical environment. It's just gorgeous. And all the, you know, the, the cherry blossoms and everything are in, in bloom. And I just thought it was a, a just an amazing, sunny, wonderful trip. You know, we went to Mount Vernon and all the good places in the Smithsonian and see all those bicycles and trains, see all the stuff that it had. And it's all free. I always tell people, come to Washington. You can find a place to live. It's a great vacation because mm-hmm. almost everything's free. Mm-hmm. Everything's free. You organize it. And I, I just thought I saw something I wanted. And when I came out of the Peace Corps in Africa and I came back home, I went to Chapel Hill to say hello to my friends. And then I went, I went to Washington and said, this is my plan A. I don't have a plan B. I'm going to get a job as a speechwriter. I'm going to work like Ted Sorensen did for Ted Ke- for mm-hmm. Jack Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get there. And I got there to the White House. I, and then Tip O'Neill, that amazing six years working as his right-hand man. Um, it was quite amazing. But I had great luck. I don't know what specific conversation you might have had with your, your mom that day, but I would imagine back in the day, in, in the 50s and the 60s, even the 70s to some degree, you know, parents could look at their seven-year-olds on a trip like that and say, you know, someday you can grow up, work here, be a part of this incredible institution, politicians, you know, respectful and, and try to change the world and blah, 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 blah. I mean, what does a parent say today to a seven-year-old, like, other than stay the hell away from this place, it's a cesspool? Isn't that isn't that sad? Yeah, I think I think there's some of that, and I think uh, God, you can't talk about, you know, my the title of my book was this country because I remember Harry Truman. I, in the old clips, I'd see him talk about this country. This country doesn't believe in that. This country, he could actually speak with certitude about this country's opinion. Mm-hmm. Like there was one opinion. Like we had to drop the bomb in '45. We had to go to war in, after Pearl Harbor. We had to help Europe. With the Marshall Plan, he he could he could say this is what America has to do. Mm-hmm. Today, I don't think there is that conclusiveness. I, I think a third of the country is loyal to Trump and believes his cultish lies mm-hmm. about having won the election, which it runs against any common sense because it's the only election that people said was stolen, only his, without evidence. And yet they hold up that belief uh, because if you don't hold up that belief, you can't run for office. You'll be ostracized by the, uh, the the base. But, you know, a lot of this has changed this week. I, I get the feeling that Murdoch and Fox and, um, and a lot of Republicans are really reconsidering his selection of candidates. I mean, he picked Dr. Oz, mm-hmm. you know, he out of nowhere. And he made him the candidate for U.S. Senate from Pennsylvania, and he lost. Mm-hmm. I think McCormick would have won mm-hmm. uh, or could have had a better shot. I think... Uh, Herschel Walker is a very hard sell. Well, let's just stick on Pennsylvania for a second, because you're a Pennsylvania guy, you're a Philly guy, and so you, you obviously have much more than just a political interest. You you would spent years there as as in your formative years. Well, I ran for Congress there. Yeah, I tried I tried for Congress. How do you feel 
when someone like a, a Fetterman, who is such a antithetical, uh, just you know, the guy's six foot seven. He's full of tattoos. Yeah. He wears a black hoodie, and he just had a stroke. Yet Pennsylvania voters, especially after listening to to uh, Doctor Oz, attack him repeatedly. Uh, they came to the polls with compassion and empathy and understanding and uh, I don't want to say forgiveness or uh, I'd rather say acceptance. And I think, I think there's, I think it's very tricky because I think they still, you're a thoughtful person, not a partisan. If you could include some thoughtfulness with your enthusiasm for the democratic side, you will say to yourself, I really don't know his condition. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of mysteries about, he didn't release his medical mm-hmm. records. I don't know whether his inability to listen to the spoken word is going to go away. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a year from now he still has to have people put words up on a screen to hear them. This is, you know, this is a situation he has. And you have to ask yourself, that's a pretty big question. So alongside that question was, it's a binary choice. Mm-hmm. And you have to choose to pick him or Oz. Now, Oz was, I saw the polls on Election Day, certifiably from New Jersey. And I talked about that on Morning Joe the other day. Yeah, I want to ask you to tell that story. Can you tell the story, the down, can you, the down the shore? <laughs> down the shore. You say it like that, down the shore. Sure. Everybody in Philly in the suburbs all the way up to where, wherever you are basically knows where the shore is. It's, it's across Tacony Palmyra Bridge. It's Route 73. And in my day, working people that lived in that area would line up with their deck chairs all along the, the uh, the road there, the avenue, about five in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon. And they would sit there watching the bridge traffic, the bridge traffic. And the bridge traffic were the people coming home with their tans, coming back home from from Wildwood, Atlantic City, Ocean City. You know, they had they would have that happiness. They were so thrilled they were down there. And I was remember Atlantic City was a huge deal in those days. And um so they know where the shore is. They've never been anywhere else in the world. See, Philadelphia is not just Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the Delaware Valley. It's South Jersey. That's what it is. They've never, they will never in their lives go to Pittsburgh, ever. They will never in their lives probably go to New York. They don't go. My dad had never been to New York until I gave him a trip to New York when I was on television. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and, and they, they, don't, they don't go to these places. They go to Philly and down the shore. <laughs> it's like Center City. It's down the shore. And so they know where this guy came from. And it never got out of their heads. He's running in the wrong place. Right. Why is he running against Cory Booker, Menendez, or somebody? Yeah. He, he belongs over there, just like we belong here. We belong here. Fetterman ran some effective ads to that effect about him being well, from New Jersey. Like just the same reason we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. The Philly people, they come to Philly. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. They've been in Philly. And they never leave. You know what I understand? It's very much a place to be. Yeah. And you don't you don't move out, you don't move in, and so uh, I think I think that captured our, our essence. Uh, well, I think you that's know. you know when you look at politics and try to think of it on a state by state level, every state is different. Every the people of every state. Yeah, sure. Right. And Trump understood. Trump understood Pennsylvania. You know how he understood it. He, he, Trump understood that you're from Pennsylvania. You don't have a house, a house down in Florida. You're not going anywhere in the wintertime. It's going to be cold. Mm-hmm. You have to have heating fuel. And you have to have gas or oil, gas probably. You have to have something to keep you warm. Mm-hmm. You have to have Social Security. You have to have Medicare and Medicaid for Alzheimer's. Okay, you just need all those things. 
And everybody knows that in Pennsylvania. And you don't touch it. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to go to war because you don't want your kids getting killed. And you also, you want to war on China because they're taking our jobs away. And you want your kids to get a job close enough home they can drive home for a big weekend. Mm-hmm. Just that. Just that. So all they wanted, they don't want to be rich people. They don't want to, they don't have any idea what it's like to be rich, unfortunately. They 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 want their social safety net, which they earned, and they left alone basically. So their kids can have a job and not have to drive away or get killed in the war. So Trump came along and said, no more stupid wars. I'm going to fight China and I'm going to protect your social security. Mm-hmm. Jerry Ford never said that. Mm-hmm. The average Republican said, I'm going after your entitlement because there's a lot of waste in that. And the minute they hear that, and they go, oh, my God, they did it again this time about a week before the election. All of a sudden, the Republicans are talking. I don't know who these people are. Why they are, like, you know, it's Rick Scott. What's the matter with this guy? Why is he, any of these people talking about cutting social security? Yeah. It's all people have. It is their retirement program. And when they get that 10 percent, or nine percent increase. That's a deal. Yeah. You know? I'm almost and there. Even I get it. I get it. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm it. almost cashing in on that money myself soon. It's, it's there. It's there. And uh whatever retirement you've been lucky to get, you didn't just get a four oh one K. No, you want to really That's Trump's evil genius. Trump's is that, smart. Is that, Trump is so smart. Yeah, as as a it's it's an evil genius. But as a as a New York billionaire, he understood what you said better than most politicians and he and he but he milked it in a horribly toxic divisive way he, he, can, he can still win in pennsylvania with a wrong candidate mm-hmm. uh, i think he uh, his numbers are even with but with biden um i don't know what that means when people say 50, same disapproval same approval mm-hmm. but the fact is biden's been president for two years and it's about the same Let's talk. I want to talk about the midterms. Obviously, this is that's the big news of the week. Um, you know, the question is, what's the big takeaway? Is it's did sanity and democracy win? Did Trump, Trumpism, and autocracy lose? What do you, what did you take away this week? New York, uh, New York governorship is a good race. Mm-hmm. Um, Zeldin was running a great campaign. I mean, he got all the news. He made inch. He got it, it inched up at the end. But I talked to a WOR radio here, Michael. One of the local guys there, and he told me it was Trump. That in the end, the New York voter, whether Jewish or Christian or whatever, they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Trump and against abortion. They just couldn't do it, especially Trump. So Trump killed that guy in the end. He helped him in the beginning, but in the end, but he did deliver what four or five House seats. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Sean Patrick Maloney lost his seat, yeah. uh, the head of the party, the head of the DCCC. So Trump helped. I think Trump still helps out West mm-hmm. uh, and parts of the South. But I'm not sure. He didn't deliver Bucks County. Uh, he did. Well, they, that was the Republican. But all the Democratic collar counties, Chester and Delaware County and uh, Montgomery, they all stuck. So let's stick Democrat. with Trump and, and, and Trumpism. Trump, Trump is bad news to women because he supported the getting rid of Roe v. Wade. No well, matter he, what he says. But he represents he says, so much that's bad and wrong. And I think voters... Oh, he's a liar. Yeah. He's a liar. But if you look at, um, uh, you know, every, you've been in politics for bazillions of years. I've uh, never heard of him. I've never met a liar like him. Yeah. Never. And he lost that election. But everybody during, you know, in the weeks leading up to an election, everyone loves, all the geeks love, like, you know, what's the Oct- October surprise going to be? I want to ask you... How much do you think it factored into what we saw this week, the Republicans laughing and mocking about an 82-year-old man getting his head smashed in with a hammer? 
You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that was a fact. I was talking to a college group up at Providence College, and only one kid in the class knew about it. And the rest are on TikTok and the other political science. But what about the suburban moms? Was that I think some- they heard about it. And I, first of all, I know Paul Pelosi. All this talk about him being a grandfather. I'm a grandfather too. Me too. He's not grand. Me too. He's not grandfather Lee. He's not some elderly person. He's a str- this big regular guy, and he and he doesn't come across as needy that way. Maybe he likes to sit down like we some of us do at certain ages, more than walking a lot. He's a regular guy, and uh, smokes cigars, hangs out with the guys. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being anything else, but the way they try to portray him in these ads and this scurrilous uh, rumor mongering, mm-hmm. it's really rotten. I mean, you get your head bashed in, and then they're lying about you. And why were they doing it? Because that's what they do. Well, can we play, they, you, Mandy, you have that clip of, I don't know if you heard what Andy Biggs said, but I want to play you something that just came out. We can't wait to get back to Washington, D.C. with some new Arizona congressmen. And we're going to show Nancy Pelosi the door very shortly. Don't let it hit you on the backside, Nancy. Hey, the, yeah, yeah, she's, she's losing the gavel but finding the hammer. Oh, Jesus. Too soon? Is that too soon? I didn't know. I just didn't know. I mean, how do you listen to something like that and not say, this is this party's dead. They are literally dying, maybe not so slow a death, with comments like that? Well, it, it, it's, it's social media. It's the way people speak anonymously. The way people talk on, the, on, the, uh, on Twitter, they say things are terrible because they are they, they know things are terrible. They don't put their name to it exactly. And, and, and Trump saying Senator uh, or Governor sanctimonious. That's cheap. The stuff we all felt, like I fell for. I thought the, bully, the, the schoolyard stuff was fun. You know, he's making fun of all these Republicans. He's making fun of Jeb, little Jeb, and mm-hmm. not little Jeb, little Marco. Little Marco. Yeah. He's making fun of it's schoolyard stuff. It's exactly what I felt in high school, when I, in grade school, when I was there. Was the, the big guy, Moose was his nickname. We'd go around and scare everybody and um, the neighborhoods were changing. Yeah, we had we had fat we had fat Phil, story. which I'm horrified that we that, that's what we called him when. But we were yeah. nine. We were nine. We weren't the fucking president well, of the United right. States. You, say, you say who's Moose? They say you're saying who's Moose, and they're going to meet you. They introduce you to Moose. <laughs> I mean, it was it was just crap. And uh, and that's what Trump is. He's yeah. a bully, and uh, he gets somebody smaller than him, and he and he pounces on him. But Pelosi is a gentleman. I mean, it's just. I don't know how to describe it, but of all the people that be, that be that be talked about that way, is pretty pretty sick. And I I think Nancy, as tough as nails as she is, I think she was affected by it. She I was. Well, she know. said she's going to, you know, th- this is going to factor into her decision about leadership going forward, which is really a shame. But it, it does sometimes take a personal tragedy in your life to make you rethink most of your major decisions. You know. Well, it's a it's a. Collateral damage. Yeah. So, what, I mean, what was your big takeaway? Is this was this in your mind? I was like shocked. A, a, I was. I. I thought. First of all, I'm not going to plead completely guilty in this because every time there was an interview with a with a citizen, a voter, they were saying the economy all the time. Everybody right. was saying gas prices, food prices, and that's all legitimate. They didn't say abortion, and all of a sudden, abortion seemed to loom up at least in the NBC poll, mm-hmm. uh, high up again. Now, clearly. It would be more of a northeastern thing, I would think, because coastal liberals uh, would be more sensitive to it. 
even though their states will be protecting them. New York's not going to have an anti-abortion situation. Mm -hmm. And Pennsylvania will probably be fine, too. And um, So it's it's more like they don't like the idea of de denial of freedom. And I, I said this the other day. I think freedom protects our right to vote, and our right to vote protects our freedom. They work together. Mm -hmm. You can't have one without the other. If you can't have elections, you can't have freedom. And if you have freedom, it's because you have elections. It's the way it works. You have to protect yourself. And the voter has to be able to say, this day that I'm voting is the day that we run the country. Everybody who votes on election day is part of a, an enterprise of democracy. It's not the pundits or the any pollsters or anybody else. On election day, once the first vote is cast, it's about the voter. The voter runs the country. I know people find this hard to believe, but 435 members of the House are in or out, depending on the voters want. Now, there's a lot of habitual voting. Mm -hmm. I love that what Abby Phillips said on CNN the other day, the DNA in each state, because each state has its own DNA. Exactly. What do you think they mean? What do you think they mean in Georgia when they say Georgia values? <laughs> and what do you think that means? Not my Slavery. <laughs> Slavery. What do you think they're talking about? John Warner, I used to like, I did like when he was alive, he's a good guy. But he used to say Virginia traditions. Right. Come on, what is that about? You know, they're not saying New York traditions. They're saying Virginia. Yeah, but traditions. that's the connective so that's, tissue to make America great again. That's what that's all about. That's all that means. Well, it's, 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 it's ingrained with slavery, mm -hmm. and it's all there. Um, and that I think the people that are voting for Herschel, most of them are just old seggies. Not all of them think about segregation today, but they got that whole culture. They don't like this guy from Martin Luther King's pulpit being their senator. Mm -hmm. They just don't want that. It was about getting back somebody that could vote like them, like Tim Scott, who could vote like a conservative. As a guy who spent many years on television, I want to ask you about the media for a second, because, you know, there's the polls and then there's the vibe. The vibe was certainly like, oh, my God, Democrat, it's going to be a bloodbath. The, the polls yeah. weren't, weren't showing that, but the vibe was, that's what in the vibe the end, was about. They were, they were, and Chuck Todd called me a couple of days before the election said there's something turning in the other direction. He, he saw it yeah. in the numbers. But what what yeah. is it about the media that loves this kind of talk, that loves the, like, the media seems to talk about waves. No one else talks about waves, but the media loves the waves. Okay, let's give an example. So I thought Roe v. Wade was the best thing Republicans ever had going for them. Because you can talk about the values of being opposed to abortion, and that's pretty much a common value. Most people say, yeah, you have the right to an abortion, but really, are we, they, most of them don't even use the word. I mean, they have reproductive health, women's health. They, it's not a word people are really, in most districts, comfortable with using abortion mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. But they want the option. Fathers want the option, no matter what anybody says. They want the option. My dad used to say, I said, what do you think about parental consent? He said, what's the purpose of that? He don't want, he don't want to hear about it. He don't, he don't he didn't have any daughters, but he didn't want to hear it. You know, it's like, oh, can I have an abortion? Dad? No, no, no. You don't come to me with that question. You go to mm -hmm. some judge or something. But uh, I, I think that was a, a vote that uh, that people didn't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. That's why we didn't hear much about it. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but the country is happy with Roe v. Wade. I wish they would settle on it and not go to some extreme, unrestricted method of everything is okay to the last minute because it just strikes. Pat Moynihan, the senator from New York, used to say that's near to a, a, to a you know, to a, what do you call it, um, killing babies. And he said it was terrible. And, and so I think we were happy with the first first term, first trimester, getting into the second trimester. People say, 
That's your call. Once it gets later, it becomes more of a societal responsibility, I think. Yeah. I mean, look at look, we had Dobbs and we had uh, the Kansas referendum this week. We had Kentucky, Michigan, California. This is such an example of where the Republican Party is absolutely clueless and tone deaf in terms of what America wants when it comes to reproductive rights. You would think yeah. after all these years, they would get smart and say, OK, this is not a winnable strategy for us. But yet, why do, why do they keep going back to this issue, even when it's clearly hurting them in, in an almost existential way? It's in their culture. It's in their culture. The, the, the Republican Party has a mix of pragmatic suburbanites and, and traditionalists, and they cannot offend one of their traditionalists. So they, they, go, they go over to the evangelicals and they, and they say, we got to honor their tradition. So we have to be careful not to do this. It's just like the, the Democratic Party. Pelosi has to keep account of the squad and uh, to, to fund the police crowd. And they're there and they're part of the constituents. And uh, I think they're wrong. Uh, I, was, I remember working on MSNBC the night that looked like Bernie was going to win everything, New Hampshire, uh, Iowa, everything. And, I, and people around me weren't, didn't care. They acted like, well, this is going to happen. I said, Bernie, this is the guy likes Medora, the, the, the Castro brothers, and Daniel Ortega, and says he likes, uh, he says he likes uh, Copenhagen and Denmark. Well, come on, this guy's going to lose the general election easily. Trump will thump him. Don't you get it? So both sides of the political spectrum have their not just their blind sides; they don't want to offend people on the left or on the right. I'm including journalists. Journalists don't want to. But there's, there, there's a false equivalency with comparing, at least in my opinion, you know, the, the left wing craziness with the right wing craziness. You know, as bad as a Bernie Sanders, and I'm not a Bernie Sanders fan overall, but as, as bad as some people would think he is, he's, he's not denying free and fair elections. He's not advocating oh, no. the overthrow of the I government he's not, not, not he's not making jokes about i mean when when uh the scalisi shooting took place he, he was on the floor of the congress that day con unequivocally condemning what happened so but and that i think that's what makes it easier for a pelosi ultimately to control because the people she's trying to control are rational and sane at the end of the day we're we're living in an environment today where it's in i mean it must be crazy for you to look at all this stuff coming from where you come from, and I'm 63 years old, so I have a pretty decent f frame of reference too, but I mean, I remember meeting Nixon in, in, at LaGuardia Airport and thinking I just met God, and I was a liberal. I mean, I, I had a, re a, a respect for the office. I had a respect for the institution, and I didn't look, it wasn't tribal the way it is today. Today, it is nuts. People are, I mean, they're literally killing each other. Yeah, I think I think I think I think people are rash. I don't think Bernie Sanders will run again, even if Biden doesn't choose to run. Well, it looks like he's going to run now. Um, I, I think there's a tradition. You're right, and uh, I think he falls within that tradition of, you know, when uh, uh, 1952, when Natalie Stevenson lost, he was unbelievable the way he spoke about it. You know, he quoted Lincoln and said, "I was." Like the six-year-old kid who stubs his toe in the dark and says, I'm, uh, I'm too old to cry, but it hurts too much to laugh. <laughs> he, he, to a human being. Mm. I read Hillary Clinton lost. Most recently, I mean, she got up the next morning and walked into that Pennsylvania hotel across from uh, the 
Penn Station. And my God, she was unbelievable. She, she, she woke up to the truth. And she woke up with the truth in her that she'd lost. And could blame a lot of people. But she didn't try to lie. Mm-hmm. She told the truth to the people. And of all those years of watching people like people respected people like Goldwater and Humphrey mm-hmm. and McCain and incredibly good people, great perhaps people. And they all did it. They all bellied up to that camera. They may have cried in the back room mm-hmm. because they were rejected. They wanted the country to like them and the country didn't like them. Not enough. And and they spoke their heart that was breaking at the time. They just did it. It was, it's the price. I say it's like, it's like the old cal, uh, detective show. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. If you're not willing to admit you lose, don't run. Because that's the deal. Mm-hmm. You've got to respect what the voters decided on election day. It's like the British monarch. Even though the prime ministers speak in the name of the crown, they have to visit every Wednesday. I think it's usually Wednesday. The, the, the crown, the monarch, and tell them what the policy is. It's a respect. Mm-hmm. They respect the crown. And the crown respects the prime minister. It's a very token of respect. Our respect is when you win an election, you say so. When you lose an election, you say so. And uh, Trump didn't do it because he didn't have any understanding. He, as Bob Woodward said the other day, he didn't understand things he didn't know, like the presidency mm-hmm. and democracy. He didn't know that because he never studied them. He never had an interest in history. Nor does he care about those. But he doesn't care. It's not even about knowledge. He business. He studied business. How do you make money at the edge? Yeah. How do you do it in a, in a re, re, you know, reciprocity deal, a transactional deal? How can I grab some money? And um, he's unbe- it's unbelievable. It's un- absolutely unbelievable. He doesn't pay his debts. But he, but he just doesn't care. I mean, there are plenty of rich people who, who care, you know, who, who care about people and, and respect the institutions that they're involved in. He, he's a sociopath. I mean, I, to, that's where I keep coming back to. It's we, we talk about him sometimes as if he's just a president that we can criticize and analyze. But we've never had an actual sociopath as a president. And that's where you can connect all of this stuff to a man who stands in front of a TV watching cops getting the crap beaten out of them on January 6th. And he's gloating because they're all doing it for him. That's a sickness. That's just not like. How about this thing? How about this thing? Making fun of the guy's hands. Yeah. The guy's arms. You know, the guy has an affliction and he's treating him like a joke. Hey, what would he have done if he, he were around today, if he were in office today? He'd be making fun of Federer. Yeah, but there was a time in this country where that would been, that kind of behavior would have been summarily rejected. Now, whatever it's 20, 30, 40, half the country, 50%, see him do stuff like that, or people make jokes about Paul Pelosi, and they're laughing. That's that's worse than one man being nuts. What, if Trump was around thirty years ago, he would have been gone in five minutes. I mean, think about uh, what's his name, the, the Mac- Alan, uh, the guy who said Macaca. Remember him? One word. Yeah. One word crashed a career. One word, and 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 no yeah, one really George even. Allen. But nobody knew what that. Yeah, right. George Allen. George Allen. No one even knew what that word meant. We had to go look it up in order to be offended, and then we were offended once we yeah. looked it up. Think about what we live with today. Nothing is nothing is off limits anymore. And can we put that genie back in the bottle? Well, I'll say one thing for George John, who I liked at the time. I do like him. He didn't throw his mother under the bus because he got it from his mother. Or his wife. Trump is blaming Melania on all the on Dr. Oz. What, what do you call Jewish people that come from North Africa? The Sephardic. Right. Sephardic. Mm-hmm. And that was an old Sephardic reference for monkey. I mean, we know what it was. 
I didn't know what it was. I, I, it sounded like concept. something I would be upset about. I actually had to go look it up because I was like, that doesn't sound good. That's not a good word, whatever it is. But today, no, we, he, could, we could do anything. We could say anything. These people could say anything. I mean, look at Carrie Lake. If I win, it's fair. If I lose, it's rigged. And she got that from Trump. She's a disciple. Yeah, she's a disciple in the worst way. Does that genie go back in the bottle? It's now okay to say elections are rigged. I can tell you that she's awful. I watched her. I think that the comments she's made are about everything. And, and, and maybe the, the woman against her who, who may beat her. It looks smart. that way. It looks that Not way right now. She's a show, just like Trump. She's a show. Mm -hmm. and, uh, she might have been devastating in a debate. You know? So with the midterms, you know, we've all been dealing with years of, and I'm guilty of this too, of like d Democrats don't know how to message. Why can't we be like Republicans? Democrats, instead of focusing on the economy and crime, they were focusing on democracy and abortion. And, and, but we saw, like in a poll last week, crime was at 3% in terms of what's important to voters. We saw the results this week. And it, it, it kind of looks like Democrats actually were pretty spot on with their focus on saving democracy and Rovember. And that Republicans were way off. We had Stuart Stevens on a couple of weeks ago, and we had this conversation, and he said, we could talk about messaging all we want, but look at the last several elections. Like, Dem Democrats have won everything. So is it possible we should be looking at them going, maybe their messaging is actually pretty damn good? What do you think? Look, I, let's talk about being the dominant political party for a minute. Why aren't the Democrats the dominant political party? And, and I think there's some things they're just not doing. You know, I, I, I'd say this to, to Biden if I was sitting down with him. You had the greatest success legislatively with infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's something that everybody who drives, and most people drive, mm -hmm. you're on a highway and there are potholes or whatever, or there's subways that are clearly 100 years out of date. And the one thing we know is when we get down in the bottom of New York, God knows what's going on down there. We built a in, in the 19th century, this stuff. And there's water coming in because it's below sea level. And it's just pouring in. What are we going to do? We've got to work on stuff. we got to rebuild. This country needs jobs. It needs real work, real pay, and the kind of pay you get in construction. And uh, why, did, why do you let us slop over a really good deal you made with Republicans? And let it, then let's talk about build back better. Give me a break. That's the democratic mistake. They don't stay on something that's heavily structured, that's real, that's tangible, that everybody can do. Every Republican used to believe in roads and stuff mm. like that. It's something that could have sold the middle. It's how Huey Long got elected. It's how Franklin Roosevelt got elected, building Washington. They don't understand that building is essential to America. Growth is American. American, growth, growth, economic enterprise. Building things is the start of that. Look at Massachusetts. Why is Massachusetts come back from what it was of a decaying industrial area? It's, it's got it made. It's got all the high tech, all the stuff, because it's building stuff. That's why California and Silicon Valley is real. And, uh, and, and they don't, they don't want to, they do, I'm, I'm going crazy here. They don't want to celebrate that. What is wrong with workers and construction and, and creating a life that's better for people? You know? What is the problem? It's the left. I'm sorry. It's, the left wants to talk about social issues and, and uh, 
all these issues of rights, fine, fine. But that's not going to well been a major, make you a majority party. Making what's making a majority party is what the New Deal did and what Eisenhower did with the highway system and and the, and the space program with all the advantages that it gave us. And I, I keep thinking about and also asking people to do good things for their country. That some of it is asking people to do something. Um, stop treating everyone like a victim. Why is everybody a victim? Everybody's a victim. What's going on here? No, they're not all victims, you know. Um, so uh, Biden, why did he just say free, free junior college? Forget this paying all people's bills because a lot of kids don't go to college. Mm-hmm. Why should the plumber's kid pay for the uh, the law the law partner? What? You're kidding me. The law partner wants some help, some help with their bills. Well, if everybody wants help with their bills, mm-hmm. why not make starter college where you learn something you can make money on? And, and and say to everybody, you know what? You get at your local college, Foothill College, whatever it's called, go there. I'm paying for it. That would have been something that Jill would have been popular with, and it would have been real. But giving paying all these bills, where's that money coming from? We're borrowing it all. I just think there's something soft about the Democrats that isn't hard. And the squad's part of it. Mm-hmm. They, they want to do all these other social issues and paychecks and everything. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, here's my counter to that. And this is. By the way, Fetterman was for fracking. You may not like the way he got there, but he was for fracking. Did, did he Did he actually get there? I don't think he got there. That's the well, problem. You may, you may suspect his, his belief there and maybe well, but yeah. he's he's doing it for yeah. uh, for the votes because that's where the votes are. But here's my counter to what you're saying. And I and I just want to say I agree with you in, in, in large part overall. I mean, you know, Republicans, Trump talked about, I mean, it was infrastructure week for 208 weeks, Okay. Biden got it done, right? Biden got it done. Yeah. But I, my question before about messaging is, is this, is like the Democrats, Biden made a very, in their minds, a very calculated strategy, a calculated decision to focus primarily on saving democracy and, and the Dobbs issue, abortion, reproductive rights, and where that could lead to marriage, gay marriage bans and uh, contraception bans. And in looking at the results this week, when everyone thought it was going to be a bloodbath, when we thought we were going to lose control, when people like me were saying it's going to be the beginning of the end of our democracy, and it's just the opposite, was that a smart choice for them? But yeah, sorry, Dippity's here. I mean, you're talking about they, they hit it. Do you think they calculated this? I don't think so. I think they thought they're going to get whacked. And I think they thought the economy was going to beat them, but they just couldn't say anything good about the economy from their point of view. They had nothing to say, and we got this. Uh, we got this bill, this inflation reduction bill that didn't reduce inflation. Okay, come on, that's all that was, and they didn't have anything to argue, so they argued their strengths. Biden got out there. He didn't. Hey, look, there was a right way to sell democracy, which I would have done. How come when he went to Independence Hall, President of the United States never mentioned Liz Cheney, never mentioned the one person standing up against the bad guys? The most important person in the country, really, in that regard. Why didn't he? Because some somebody sitting in the White House desk says, "Oh, we can't do that." Well, we, there's your calculation. That's your calculation in a, in another area. Exactly. Why, why, why don't you, you? He would have been so credible if he'd say, "I want to say something tonight about democracy." Liz Cheney, because that's where I'm starting from. Mm-hmm. This woman's standing up for truth, and she's got, cost her political career. He we should have invited even- her to speak with him on on that stage on that platform. You know, she's out there campaigning. I mean, she's... I know that she's campaigning for Democrats. She's I mean, amazing. We, we, he, had a way to, he had a way to get Bert to make 
his speech on democracy resound. But do you think that, you know, we in America, we, we tend to... I don't think everything that the Democrats did is the reason they won. I think I think you're, you're finding out somewhere in, in that interstices of things that went right. Um, well, what I was going to say, I was going to say it, 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 we in America, especially guys like you and I, who are political junkies, and we focus on things that the average person, I always remember Jay Leno going on the street and asking people, like, who's the vice president? And the woman would say... Uh, Hillary Clinton. And then he'd go, oh, Hillary Clinton. And, uh, what do you do for a living, ma'am? And she'd be like, I'm a teacher. And he's like, oh, you're a I teacher. Know. But we have, we have, especially today with the internet, we have like no uh, tolerance, patience. Uh, we, we want everything right away. But if you could just sort of close your eyes and think about what's been happening, you see who was elected on the, on the Democrat side, gays, le- lesbians, young black men like Maxwell Frost, other black men like uh, the Marilyn Mayer, uh, Native American, like, and you see what the other side is doing. Like, are we watching and witnessing this week that slow movement to that place where you're you're talking about where we ultimately should be? Like, it's not going to happen all at once, but we are seeing signs that America is moving in one direction, one party's moving with it, and the other party wants to make America great again, like you said before, which is really all about returning to the days when white men controlled everything and slavery. Well, that's true, because the, we look at the candidate in Wisconsin, uh, Barnes and uh, Beasley in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Democrats were ungenerous about it and just said, well, these are winnable states. These are not sacrificial lambs. We can win these. They would have run white people probably. But they didn't. They said, look, the Democratic base in terms of voter turnout is African-American and women. And we're going to make sure they get reflected in our candidacies. We're not going to just make it all white men. So clearly they lost some elections, you say, might have been one otherwise. We don't know. So they, they're, they're being the Democrats are nominating people, and especially in blue areas. They're saying, look, if, if the Democrats are going to include in their coalition people of color, damn it, they're going to be candidates too. Mm-hmm. So part of that transition is paying a price for it. They are just going to pay the price. They say, look, maybe a white person would have done better in North Carolina or in, in, in Wisconsin. But they, they didn't do that. They mm-hmm. ran the best candidate. They got the most yeah. votes in the, in the constituency. I mean, look at, look at, we, look at Westmore in, in Maryland. I mean, that's a huge victory for Democrats, for, for democracy, for the future, for diversity. That was automatic. That was automatic. What do you mean? That was automatic. They were going to win that seat, that state. The Democrats were going to win that governor's race. That was not a close call. Well, but that's, I don't know how you can, you know, what, what makes you say that with such certainty? In the Democratic state, how many Republican governors or senators are from from Maryland? Senators. It's a state which has elected Democrats for a long term. My wife is party chair. I know it. It's a Democratic state. Mm-hmm. But you could also look at the other key races that, that you know, Tina Kotek in Oregon, uh, uh, Mark Wayne Mullen in Oklahoma, the squad, yeah. you know, got another, Summer Lee, a, you know, a progressive black woman in the Pennsylvania House. Like, the party overall is is listening to the pulse of America, the changes in America, which is which is the very thing that's pissing the shit off of, out of uh, the white men who, who are losing their power and their control, the patriarchy, the all the things that we all talk about. Yeah, I think that's true. That's, I think that's true in blue areas, too, where, you know— uh, I mean, look at Michigan, the entire state. Look what happened, look what happened in Queens with AOC and what happened in, uh, in the 8th District up in Massachusetts. Uh, these are all the Irish-Italian type of people, regular Democrats from 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and they're they're getting knocked off by the new minorities. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And uh, that's normal, and that's the way it should be. But there's a transition in American life, which is like, I watch some of the old-time sports like boxing. You know, it was it was the Irishman, and then in the fifth, then it became the Italians. You know, the Marcianos and everybody, the Rocky Balboas, and there was the black uh, boxers in that in that field. It's interesting. People get complain. Why are no uh, baseball players black? Because they're doing incredibly well in in football, in basketball. The opportunities are incredible in these sports. So maybe they've just chosen, you know, more rugged sports, more athletic sports. I don't know, but they're doing really well in those sports. Well, it just it just seems to me that you know what this. My big takeaway from this week is that you have a party that's dying, and you have a party that's growing, expanding. It's not a it's not a a complete straight line up. But if you just watch the trajectory over the last five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, you just look at where the you know, look at the, when's the last time, how many Republicans out of the last eight election, presidential elections actually won a popular vote? One, right? And what does that say about who's listening and who's watching and who's reacting? No, I think you're right. I think Pennsylvania is a pretty good, I look at the next election already as if it's uh, DeSantis coming up north. He's down there in the peninsula. He's down there. He's very good down there. Yeah. Well, it's, Hispanic votes and all that, but he where, has to it's move where woke, north. It's where woke goes to die, right? Florida. They could be. Well, woke and old the people. Tax, the tax breaks. And then they go, where a lot of people go for the tax break, Republicans go. But he gets up in yeah, Pennsylvania. They go back to this way that why Trump won there and only narrowly lost is he understood the working guy for some weird reason he could figure him out. And Robert Orban, his uh, campaign manager, figured this out the first time. Um, you know, he blew the election. I think uh, in 20, on his mismanagement of COVID, he just clearly was worried about the stock market more than anything else. He's worried about what the market would do to his reelection. Mm -hmm. He basically had other priorities, as Dick Cheney would say. I had other priorities, like with his draft. But I think he was doing that in a way that was wrong, was wrong. He should have taken the, the, the country's interest first and looked out for the country's interest first. He didn't do it. So he played all these games with vaccinations and masks and everything. And everybody knew he was screwing around. He's screwing around. Pennsylvanians knew it at the edge. Uh, and so Biden, who was work a day, knows no surprises, uh, beat him. So next time Biden's going to be 82 years old, uh, DeSantis will be in his 50s, I think. That's going to be an interesting race. People say he's 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 Trump, but smart. And I think he's not he's younger. Trump he's younger. because he's Trump younger. has charisma. You know, you're a, you're a politics guy. You need you need charisma. He has nothing. I recognize that when he gets on a stage with Trump, Trump will punch him really hard and try to shake him and turn him into Marco Rubio. That's what he'll try. So instead of repeating himself six times with this neocon crap of his, he got him doing that. Will he be able to shake him? Uh, well, the Trump uh, vaudeville act, which is what it's going to look mm -hmm. like now, we're going to stop reading it as American. They're going to see that act and go, yeah, that's fun for those people, those cultists. But that's not reflecting America. So I think people are going to start seeing it differently than they did before. It's not America. It's that cult. And um, so whoever wins that fight, you know, the American League pennant race or National League race, somebody's going to win that race. And uh, it's going to be bloody. Trump's made a mistake of letting the Santas grow too tall. 
and he will be able to fight him. And um, he didn't want that to happen. I don't know why he let it happen. He was too busy with his legal problems. But um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, you're going to have the Democrats are going to lose the House probably. The Republicans are going to come in and start probing Hunter Biden. That'll go on for weeks, weeks. They won't necessarily get anywhere, but they'll have a lot of smell, a lot of bad odor. Who's Uncle Jim? What's he about? What is he being? With his, <laughs> what are they doing in China? The What's laptop. Going on with the laptop. What's going, well, that's right. They he lost the laptop at the shop, and somebody else picked it up, and they denied it. And all of a sudden, so they'll have that game to play, and that'll be a big media. Oh, that'll be a media show. And then Trump will probably be. Thank God. I don't know if Merrick Garland's going to do it. I want to see Trump. I want Trump charged with a crime directly related to the insurrection mm -hmm. with denying the election. I don't want it about his taxes or his corporate stuff. I want him nailed on attempted murder of the vice president because I think there is a, a clear case. He sent that mob up on the hill to do damage. Yes. But I'm going to paraphrase Rumsfeld. You know, you fight the war with the army you have, not the one you want. Me personally, any indictment works for me. Any indictment. But, uh, we disagree. I want to put him, I want to nail him in a way that his own people say he tried to kill his vice president. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. A DC jury. Give a DC jury that case. Go ahead. Take that. And then for months, you want to. But if I saw a headline this afternoon that said Trump indicted on tax evasion, I'm not going to have a bad afternoon, is what I'm saying. And neither will that's you. Neither will you. Yeah, no, Andy, Andy, that's where we disagree. Okay. That's where that's where you and I disagree. Because I want the American people to change their mind about Trump. I don't care about catching them. I don't care. I want to catch them on something that the people that the people who are who've been torn pulled around by their noses by this guy, who have said he he won the election. Those people who are jockeying about that politically. I want them to say we were wrong. This guy is the bad guy. And I want that. And I think if Merrick Garland takes that to a jury, even if he loses the case, he would have such a powerful message. What did the guy do? He grabbed the steering wheel. He said, I want to go up there too. What for? What did he, how is he going to stop Mike, Mike Pence from signing the documents? What's he going to, how is he going to not get him to not do that? You know, when I see that the, the African American uh, capital, I was a Capitol police, but I know what those guys went through. A lot of those faces in that crowd were those people who voted the same way they voted. Mm -hmm. They're from the same economic class as they are, regular people. Mm -hmm. And they know those people. And they might hear these people rushing. I mean, look like my friends from, from home, from church. Who are these people? And they were coming out to do something. What were they going to do if they caught Pelosi herself? I don't Does anybody think that Trump didn't want them to do something? No. Two hours he watched that on mm -hmm. television. He wanted them to grab somebody. Would he call it? Would he call the police and then? Would he have called the police? Would Trump have called the police if he saw them doing something? No. The, See, that's it. It's the uh, the, the magnet, I want to get them for. The magnometer, magnometers, magnometers, whatever they call the X-ray things. Like when he was out doing his speech that morning, and he learned that there was armed uh, protesters coming, and he wanted to take down the X-rays, and he said, "They're not. They're not coming to hurt me." By the way, you know what that resounded with me? You're gonna love this, Andy. When I interviewed him in Green Bay in the primaries in Wisconsin. And I asked him, what should, how should the law treat a woman who chooses to have an abortion? There must be some form of punishment. That's what he said. There must be some form of punishment. And then he said, I said, what about the guy being a little bit funny 
It's usually another guy, a guy involved <laughs> and somebody becomes pregnant. Usually. And he said, oh, nothing should happen to him. Nothing should happen to him. I said, this is the most declarative statement this guy could make about his own life. Yeah, but he's still making statements like that. This week he was interviewed and he said, if the Republicans win, I get all the credit. If they lose, I don't get any blame. This is his sociopathy. He's he's not a normal human being, so he'll say things like that. But I meant more directly. He wanted to get off the hook on anybody. If there's an abortion, don't blame me. I'm not, don't don't punish me. I don't want to get punished. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Do you think he, the party is finally going to dump him? I know who wants to dump him, Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, I expect Rick Scott too, because he's now with DeSantis. I mean, what about the New York Post? Did you see the New York Post today? I heard about it. I heard about it. I heard about it already. I mean, when and Murdoch think, dumps you. But we got a problem. We got, if you're a Democrat, you got a problem. If you want to win. And that means beating him or DeSantis. Um, Texas, forget Beto. Okay, you know, all these people that Stacey Ames and everybody runs all the time, and we all cheer for them because they're courageous. Just think about a couple of things. Florida is Florida. It's not, a, it's not a purple state. Texas is not a purple state. They're just not. So the two major states are gone. Uh, California and New York are still okay. Mm-hmm. Ohio's gone. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's good. It's always you could never be elected as a Republican without the support of Ohio, and they've always got it. So they start with Ohio. Mm-hmm. DeSantis problem. So can DeSantis penetrate into the old ethnic Philadelphia Knights of Columbus regular people? Can he win with the with the Reagan Democrats in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in uh, Wisconsin, and Michigan? That's the question. Mm-hmm. This is all going to come down two years from now, and it's going to come down to the whole question. Just think about this question, and you'll not like the answer. <laughs> On one side, either is either DeSantis and a running mate like Nikki Haley, attractive, I mean, politically attractive, mm-hmm. or, or Chris Christie or whatever, somebody with an appeal up north. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the ticket, so DeSantis and Nikki Haley, and she's a great campaigner. And then on the other side, it's going to be Trump, 82, going on 86. And Kamala Harris. But you mean Biden? You can't hide her anymore. You can't hide her anymore. She would be the succession. That's what she'll look like. Mm-hmm. The succession. That's a tough race. It's a tough race. Mm-hmm. In those three states, it's a tough race. But the flip side could be just as true. You could say Kamala Harris. I mean, look at women voting. Look at Gen Z that came out. Young people this election. People of color. Kamala Harris on the bottom of the ticket. That's gonna. That's gonna get out the vote. That's going to energize people. It's going to energize the left. You, you, you've got, you're, you're just doing it now. I just know, but I know how you're doing this. I friends like you. A lot of my friends are exactly like you. You're just, you're just getting giddy. This is not the way it's going to work with most voters. They're going to say that person is not ready and not yet. And I want to see a little more conscious thinking about who the successors should be. And I think it's, it's going to be a much trickier race. But that's the nuance of it. You're on paper. You're right. You're a hundred percent right on paper. But my favorite human on the planet the last few years has been the the cliche suburban mom. The suburban mom is the one who says, "I don't want people in office who do shit that I tell my children is horrible to do." That's not how I raise my kids. My kids did it. I'd smack them in the head. Those people. It doesn't matter, I, I think, and especially if those people are women, women of color, moderate independents, moderate Republicans, independents. I, I don't, I don't see it as as that as that uh, existentially problematic for for the ticket. Do you think the country is, is center left like I am, or is it center right? I think it's center left. 
You look at all the major issues that we deal with, all the culture war issues. It's, it's all 75% this, 75% that, 75% favor this. The pot, marijuana is legal. I mean, look at pot. It's legal now. It's in a lot of places. That's where we're moving. And the, Re- the Republican Party is moving. It's just, you know, it's like the truck, Chuck Grassley party. It's like, just put these guys in a, in a chair, sit them on the... Look, I'm, are, you, are you shocked at how the, uh, the, pot, the, the issue of uh, marijuana, how it has been able to, it's been able to deliver in California, where they have these shops and everything's different, and anywhere else, and it's prevalently available. I mean, you can buy it. Uh, it hasn't caused any trouble yet. Yeah. I'm amazed. Because it's not... Booze, the- causes trouble. booze causes trouble all the time. It always does. How many traffic accidents are caused by booze? I mean, we just know they are. And the guy was drinking. How come the cops are really tough on people that have more than two or three drinks? They nail them coming out of the bar. Yeah. There's so much. So it's recognized to be a health hazard. And yes. look at look at Gen why Z. Is, why is that? Why is why is dope so far? How come there's not a train engineer so far, or a bus driver, or somebody who's 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 taken it and has not been you know, of sound mind. I mean, I, I, aren't you amazed that there's been no trouble yet? I just think that's amazing. I have and I haven't. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a culture war issue, but it's an issue that's energizing Gen Z, you know, whether it's pot, whether it's college education and, and student loans. The Democratic Party is speaking to these the, this segment of our, our young population, and they've, they're, tur- they're turning out. Right. And, and if they continue to turn out as the old Republicans are dying, I mean, I don't mean the party dying. I mean, literally, the old white men are dying. Okay, it's like, who's going to be in 10 years? Who's going to be the thriving, energetic part of the Republican Party, the base of the Republican? Who, who's going to do that? Who's going to be there to carry that party into the next you know, millennium, century or whatever. Um, so I, I think there's a real existential problem on the right, not on the left. And Trump has a lot to do with it. You, you, what you put down is the traditional type. You know, uh, center left, center right, traditional types. Bill Clinton, Al Gore, Hubert Humphrey, Adlai Stevenson. We're all sort of close left. We haven't had really a, right, a left-wing president or a Hard right, even Reagan became sort of normal. Uh, we, we were like the French. We're so much like the French. We love to fight with, but they always end up being somewhere in the middle. And uh, so we're like that. We're a bourgeois country, we're a middle class country, whether you like it or not. But we want to have some stern stuff there. We have some sturdier equipment for the challenges ahead. And part of what you want is a little tougher character than you're alluding to. The idea that everything new is good is weak. Everything new is not good. You can argue, as long as you're trendy, as long as you're with the new things, you're somehow hip. Well, that's true. Are you calling me weak, Chris Matthews? No, I'm saying that you're hip. You're hip. Get off my lawn. Every change that's moving, every move is, is, is a good thing. Well, I'm not sure of that. No, I wouldn't say. I would, I would agree with you on that. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's a movement in this country towards progress, real progress, real concern about real issues that affect real people every single day, and none of that is addressed by the the, the right. And to the con- on top of that, they are they have become a batshit crazy, democracy raping, election denying bunch of cultists. 
And I think that's why you're seeing these elections. I mean, look, since 2020, people talk about, oh, conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says the Biden's going to lose the House. It's going to be a bloodbath, blah, 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 60 seats, 30 seats, whatever. Typically, it's on average 28 seats in the last 98, 90 years. But nothing, well, I mean, not, nothing, wait, wait, the, nothing in the last two years, nothing has done anything but utterly defy conventional wisdom. And we saw that again this week. This was the best, most successful midterm election for a first-term uh, president in how long? How many decades? Maybe even ever. Um, and it's because of where the right is moving and where the left is moving. It's not all perfect. And I agree with you. It's not like everything the left does is great and progressive and, and for the future. And everything the right is doing is is just talking, you know, pissing in the wind. Yeah, but here's a question for you. How come big city, mayor, big city mayors are all Democrats, right? Big city mayors are all Democrats. Usually, yes. They have been and will be in the future. Why can't they figure out the, the gang crime problem? Why can't they take account accountability for it? When Philadelphia has 560 murders last year and 440 already this year, why don't they say, yeah, I'm mayor of Philadelphia, let me talk about that. Why doesn't the mayor come forth and talk, or the police commissioner, and talk about the problem instead of just saying, oh, that's just a Republican PR? Well, it isn't. And that's why Zeldin did well in New York. He did well. And a lot of those Democratic mm -hmm. congressmen, like, Lee, uh, like uh, uh, Maloney, got knocked off on that issue. Because it's real. It's real. And why not Democrats, when they talk about social accountability, how about for dead people? How about that? And I don't understand it. Or homelessness. They, they, don't, they want it to just go on and on and on without any change. They don't want to change. They're going to be losing elections finally in places like San Francisco over this. Because people finally said, I am tired of the liberal talky talky, same old, same mm -hmm. old, nothing can be done. Something can be done. In Washington, D.C., which I love, why is DuPont Circle all tents? Mm -hmm. Why is every public area of property, wherever you go, very nice tents. Somebody's paying for them. Pretty nice and junk all over the place. Is that going to be the future? Is that the democratic future that you've been celebrating? Well, is that where with, we're heading? With and people say, wait a minute, if that's part of the future, I don't want it. Well, but what you're talking about, you know, there's this, this term, bleeding heart liberal, right? And no, you're laughing about it because no, you don't want to defend what you see when you no, walk I, down the street. I'm not. You can't put me in any bucket. That's one thing about me. People cannot put me in a bucket because I, I'm not in any bucket. I agree with you 100%. I, I hate defund the police. I, I think my party does really stupid things. But when you're a bleeding heart liberal, it's, it's very hard for some people where they draw the line. And that line to some people is... Let's let's not do anything. How about Abraham Lincoln? How about cutting him some slack? What do you mean? Why do you have to get rid of change of schools name? And why? Oh. What is this thing? This thing we got to go after Abraham Lincoln. It's one thing, Stonewall Jackson. Okay, we can live with that. What about Lincoln? Why are we doing this? Well, read I, about Lincoln. He's a good guy. Every time someone brings up Abraham Lincoln, I always think of the thing Trump said, where he talks about like I am the most persecuted president in history. It's like really. I think Mr. Lincoln might have a difference of opinion. But before we okay. go, and we're running out of time, I want to ask you I about... I got to go, too. I'm going to go, go, go teach. Where are you teaching? I'm going around to colleges. I was, in, uh, I was at uh, Providence College last week. I'm going to go to College of Charleston. Oh, cool. Um, so the old cliche, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? So next month, we're going to have a Georgia runoff. Prior to the Georgia runoff, we're probably going to have Trump announce he's running for president. 
He's going to spend the next four weeks making everything about him. He's going to tell Georgia voters exactly like, the, like he did last time that the, the election is rigged, and he's probably going to tip it to Warnock just like he did last time. Uh, like we're, we're literally, I think we're literally heading down the exact same road we did two years ago. Then the Republican Party. One, is say, just, one exception. Didn't Kemp get his 50 percent? Kemp did. Right. He's, so not, he's, on, not gonna be in this he's not on the ballot. But Trump is. Trump is going to be on the ballot. Trump's going to deliver Georgia for us again. That's my prediction. I agree with you. It's going to be more easy than you think. What, if without Kemp on the ballot, do you think the regular, I know that's a hard, hard term in Georgia, a regular Republican doesn't like Trump. Do you think he's going to make an effort to go vote for, for uh, Walker? No. No. I'm not going to show up. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not going to go waste 20 minutes of my life to vote for Walker. Especially if Trump is going to spend the next four or five weeks telling you it's not worth it because it's all rigged anyway. I mean, it's literally the same thing. If Cortez wins out in Nevada, it may not matter at all. All right. So the other question before we let you Gary, go. It won't decide control. It won't decide control. No, well, hopefully you're right. Hopefully Masto's going to pull it out and we're fine. But that, and that's the big difference over 2020. But I'm just talking about the, the runoff itself. We're heading down the same the, the 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 playing field is exactly the same. Same players, wow. same outcome, same strategy. The second question we ask to get a, a window into people's souls is uh, through music. Music really tells us who people are. Who's your top five musical artists of all time? Oh, oh my God. Uh, all the guys from the 30s, you know, Gershwin, everybody. Mm -hmm. Benny Goodman. No, no, the, earlier than that. I mean, I think about Gershwin and Jerome Kern. And uh, I just think uh, that, that whole crowd, like they were like the founding fathers. They all came along together. Tim Pan Alley. My, my God, unbelievable. You know, um, I, I like West Side Story, too. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, something modern there. Uh, but I also like Rachmaninoff a lot, the second, you know. And I, I think uh, I used to listen to that every night before I went to play basketball. When I came back from basketball, I'd always take a shower and listen to Rachmaninoff. Before I went out to dinner. I always remember the commercials from the 70s. You know, those call 1-800 and get this fabulous collection of classical music. Oh, yeah. Like Rachmaninoff. And then and they would always. I know who that guy. Is that their British actor? That yeah, yeah, yeah. Do um, I, I, I think uh, Rachmaninoff and uh, I love classical. I'm listening to Symphony on uh, Sirius XM all the time. Mm -hmm. So my last and thing that, I want to say to you before we, before we truly. But I love the Beatles. I love the Beatles and all the other things for the 60s. Thank you. Everything. Somebody says the Beatles. Everything from the 60s. Taylor Swift? Not up to that. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know anything about it. Why are you doing it to me? See, you're <laughs> showing me you know all this stuff that makes you part of the I know nothing. World. I watch the Grammy Awards now. I know nobody. I don't even know the host anymore. I feel like a, I'm angel, like a dinosaur. I got to tell you this really funny, quick story or poignant story. When, when, I, when my daughter was about a year and a half old, uh, back in the hardball days, I, I was obsessed with your show. I think it was one of the greatest political shows on television. And you are a truly amazing host and you lived up to that name of the show every night because that's what we needed we needed somebody to push back and i loved when you had republicans on in particular you know so, why it worked because i am crusty and because i am a little more conservative that's than the my quote colleagues. and i will argue i will argue but you have to but i also caught i caught i treated them all the same i treated them all just like i did trump and it was because i didn't have that weird sort of grimace and big fat Cheek that a lot of these people have. They come on and they show all their attitude. Don't show your attitude if you're going to ask tough questions. Don't show it. Just casually ask the question. Yeah, but you used to push. I mean, I I would watch that watch your show and I would think like, oh my god, they're going to get up and walk out on Chris. They're going to get up and walk out on Chris, and they never did. 
They never did. Who, does, who pushes back like that today? Uh, and I, I, I wish you were on TV. I mean, I would love to see you uh, over the last couple of years. I'm doing Morning Joe a lot. I'm yeah. doing Morning Joe every yeah. week. But I mean, uh, you, you yeah. should have your own. You should have your own show. That's just my thing. But so I would sit and watch you. I would watch your show all the time. And my daughter, who was like a year and a half, would sit on my lap and she'd watch with me. She became obsessed with you to the point where I went online once and ordered from eBay, an 8x10 black and white of you and put it in her crib because when, when your show would come on, she would get as excited as a kid today watching. Okay, here, you know what she liked? I could predict, even though I don't know her. She, they like because I heard this from young people. Two nice things people would say about the show. One were women who said, my, my husband watched it till the end. Mm. That was always, it always gets to me. Mm-hmm. The guy, his last day on earth, he's watching Harvard. Wow. The other were the kids. And why the kids like me? Because I would say, let's play hardball. Well, <laughs> they love the let's play hardball. But there's <laughs> something, now, that, now that I'm listening to you and I'm trying to myself think, like, what was it? There's a certain sem- Sesame Street, don't kill me about this, but there's a certain Sesame Street-ish thing about your voice that I think could be very appealing in the ways that it's very animated and how you how you speak but it was crazy this kid if i would just mention your name she would, her eyes would light up like i was talking about blippy or or uh, big bird or well, something say hello to her. so say hello. she was a big fan chris you are uh truly an inimitable you're a one-of-a-kind guy and uh, a very important voice still in politics i'm so glad you came on this was a big thrill for me to to talk with you take care thanks for having me good luck with you so there you have it episode 24 in the can We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Tell us what's on your mind, what you like, what you don't like, any suggestions. You can also do that uh, by emailing us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. Uh, Leave a review, too, if you, you know, uh, like the pod. Uh, Reviews are very important with podcasts, uh, and we definitely would love your feedback, no matter how you uh, feed it back to us. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big, big thank you once again to our guest, Chris Matthews. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.